Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Friendsgiving is for chosen family. It's as much or as little of the ritual of the other giving as you want, with fewer of the holiday's problems and the same amount of food. Today, we'll talk with John Birdsall about the queer roots of Friendsgiving here in the Bay Area, get some lessons on hosting your own, and share our favorite dishes to bring to the potluck. This is, of course, our latest edition of All You Can Eat with Luke Tsai, our bi-weekly collaboration with KQED's food team, where we explore our region's food cultures. So today, get out your apron, warm up your cider. It's Friendsgiving time. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is our latest edition of All You Can Eat with Luke Sai, our regular collab with the brains and hearts and stomachs of the KQED food team. Today we tackle, tackle Friendsgiving, whether it's a replacement for the traditional Thanksgiving or a bonus holiday. And we're joined, as always, by Luke Sai, KQED food editor. Welcome. Luke, our KQED arts reporting intern, Olivia Cruz Maeda, is an Oakland native who went to school back east and didn't make financial or logistical sense to go home for Thanksgiving. So she began to host her own Friendsgivings. She's kept up the tradition and she's got a guide on KQED's website for hosting your own at any age and on any budget. And that excellent work inspired this very show. Welcome, Olivia. Hi, Alexis. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for that guide, and thanks for coming on. We're also joined by a legend in the food writing world, John Birdsall. He's both received James Beard Awards and also written a biography of James Beard, and he's at work on a new book that we're actually extremely excited about and waiting for desperately here on the show titled, What is Queer Food? Welcome, John. Oh, thanks a lot, Alexis. Yeah, we can't wait for that. Um, So, John, I was uh, looking back through old newspapers, you know, goodoldnewspapers.com, trying to see how they described Friendsgiving. 
and yeah. when and how in the media world, you know, and it kind of kind of seemed like the aughts is when you started to see it pop up in like embarrassing newspaper columns. But for you, even before this kind of meal had a name, like what are the roots? Yeah, so I uh, some personal history. I moved to San Francisco in about 1981, right after I graduated from Berkeley, uh, and I was coming out at the same time, mm-hmm. and so. I sort of came out into this world in San Francisco that was highly political and highly progressive. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it had been a couple of years since the assassination of Harvey Milk uh, and George Moscone in 1978. And the queer community in San Francisco, or I guess I should say the various queer communities in San Francisco, were highly energized and polarized by kind of inventing this new world, this new queer world in San Francisco with all kinds of like new kind of cultural events and creating these culture, these new cultural traditions. And Thanksgiving was one of them. Um, I, you know, I spent the 1980s living in the hate and one of my really good friends, Mark, lived in this essentially kind of a co-op scene in this huge flat in the hate. And he would have this big, chaotic, joy-filled Thanksgiving party every year uh, with his roommates. Some of them were queer, some were straight. And it would just be like tons of people would show up with dishes. There'd be music. uh, You know, there'd be people, you know, uh, partaking of various uh, inebriants and um, just like expressing joy and expressing Thanksgiving in a way that um, I had never experienced it before. Mm. At what point do you remember, did you start kind of naming it as something different than, you know, uh, Thanksgiving with friends? You know, um, th- that happened qu- quite a bit later. I mean, you're right. I think the the sort of fir- first mainstream media um uh, sort of references to something, you know, known as Friendsgiving did come, you know, really late in the, in the mid aughts. Um, it, 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 you know, for me and my friends, we would just call it Thanksgiving. I know in like communities of queer women in San Francisco and around the country, um, you know, Thanksgiving, the term itself was sort of tainted with this, um, you know, patriarchal anti-feminist, um, you know, colonialist um, sort of baggage. And mm-hmm. um, I knew a lot of people who would, uh, instead of celebrating something called Thanksgiving, they would call it like a harvest celebration, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, some more radical women's groups called it Dykes Giving. Um, mm-hmm. And they were, they were sort of, you know, definitely reorient- reorienting Thanksgiving, you know, moving away from this American colonialist myth of you know, like Puritans meeting indigenous people and coming together at the table and sort of kind of trying to find new meaning in it. Um, And, you know, calling it a harvest celebration, a harvest party was definitely a way of kind of taking back the, 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 the sort of myth of Thanksgiving. Yeah, we're talking about Friendsgiving this morning. It's part of All You Can Eat with Luke Sai, our regular series on the Bay Area's food cultures. We got an incredible uh, comment from Jen over on the Discord telling her story of Friendsgiving. 
my friends who live across the hall from me and I have co-hosted Friendsgiving for the last five years, Jen writes. Even during the height of the pandemic, we hosted, meaning we made food and then handed it out into go boxes. Our community is mostly black and brown queer folks who have built a chosen family with each other. We always have a couple of different proteins, usually lamb and seafood. This year I'll make shrimp. I'm gluten-free, so I always make stuffing with Mariposa Bakery stuffing cubes. There are at least four desserts with a gluten-free option. She also posted a picture. They look amazing. Also, this is the time of year when I make, quote, nuts and bolts, a.k.a. Chex Mix, which was a family tradition for me growing up in upstate New York. Oh, and we have a signature cocktail. We want to hear your Friendsgiving tradition. You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. However, you're reinventing that other giving. The email is forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, or as you just heard, there's also some great uh, commentary going over on the Discord right now. Um, Olivia Cruz Maeda, arts reporting intern with KQED. You've got this guide up on KQED right now. Um, tell us a little bit about your relationship to, uh, to Friendsgiving. Yeah, I think that Friendsgiving for me is an iteration of Thanksgiving. It can be its replacement. It can be supplemental. You can do one or both. And for me, since I was going to college on the East Coast, it didn't make sense to come back all the way to California from Rhode Island every year. So I hosted Friendsgiving and, you know, dinner parties with friends in my cramped dorm room suite. I did it in some really awful apartments and it was chaotic and it was super fun. And yeah, I think also keeping in mind that, you know, with the roots of Thanksgiving being very colonial and violent and what John was mentioning about its legacy for queer folks and folks that may not have a super safe or comfortable place to go um, with their biological family. Or, you know, the kind of reputation nowadays of Thanksgiving being a space where we might have some uncomfortable and frankly unnecessary conversations about identity and politics with family. So I think Thanksgiving can sometimes be a hat on a hat of cultural (laughs) and historical amnesia that is upsetting and it's cool that not everyone vibes with it. So I think Friendsgiving is an answer to all of that. And in this guide, I wanted to say that you can do it, you can host it. It doesn't have to look like any one thing. Yeah. Um, What kind of tips do you have kind of basic for kind of someone who hasn't hosted Friendsgiving before, maybe even is a little um, intimidated? Where where do you uh, help people kind of get into this? Yeah, I think the important thing to keep in mind is that it's adaptable to whatever you've got going on. So my first tip is you absolutely don't need to have a turkey, first of all. I did just a takeout roast duck from Chinatown. It was so little That's effort. That's genius, by the way. Yes, it reheats beautifully. Like Unlike a turkey, which is known to be quite dry to begin with, Like you can... A, a roast duck from Chinatown stands up perfectly to a microwave or to an oven days later. And I think something that can be a little intimidating for young people, especially in hosting, is that you think you need the apartment, the dining space. You need the oven that can accommodate a bird that's the size of a toddler reliably. <laughs> but um, yeah, my tip is that, you know, replace with another celebratory protein that's easier for you and that maybe you like more than turkey. Yeah. 
Um, Luke Sai, I want to hear a little about the food uh, situation for you. I mean, what what's your uh, Friendsgiving tradition? Yeah, so for me, you know, my, my family is also out on the East Coast. Um, so ever since I moved to the Bay Area, um, you know, going on, um, I guess, 15 years now, um, Friendsgiving has essentially been what I do um, for Thanksgiving. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, we have uh, a set of friends um, who um, moved out to the Bay Area a little bit before us. Um, we've known them for a long time. They have kids that are the same age as our kids. Um, and so pretty much almost every year for the past 15 years, we've just done Thanksgiving um, with them. Um, and that's our Friendsgivings. Um, often it's on Thanksgiving proper. Um, sometimes it's not. Um, if we have something else going on on that particular day. Mm. Um, but it it has just evolved into its own um sort of tradition and there there are you know certain things that we get um every year so for instance like we always we've tried a couple of other um pumpkin pies like i would say our our thanksgiving table is like sort of pretty traditional in that it does have turkey and sort of some of these things that you typically associate with the holiday um but we tried a bunch of different um pumpkin pies over the years and we always now go back to the same one which is um the pumpkin pie at Krixa cakes in berkeley mm-hmm. uh which is this eastern european bakery um in berkeley that's been around for a long time uh they make deep dish um pies fruit pies um and i think their pumpkin pie um to my taste is just the most delicious pumpkin pie in the world um, you have to order it, you know, like a month in advance to to be able to have one for Thanksgiving. I'm only talking about it on the radio now because I've already you've already got yours in <laughs> <laughs> my two pies for the year. Um, I love, that. but yeah, I I, th- I think um, it, it's nice. You know, I think for me, uh, similar to Olivia, you know, graduating from college, um, starting my first real job as an adult was when I first was mm-hmm. exposed to this idea of Friendsgiving. And it was just, it was su- such a novelty, you know, at the time, you know, uh, like really kind of the first big dinner party that made yeah. me feel like I was a grown up, you know? Was and I think the thing, that's, yeah. that, that, the thing that's nice about it too, is that, um, uh, you know, people do Thanksgiving different ways, but Friendsgiving is almost always like a big potluck, yeah. you know? And so it's just an opportunity for everybody to, to to bring their own special dish. This is Forum. It's our latest installment of All You Can Eat with Luke Side, John Birdsall, and Olivia Cruz Maeda. We'll be back with more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about Friendsgiving. This is our latest installment of All You Can Eat with Luke Tsai, our regular series on the Bay Area's food cultures. We're joined this morning by the person who inspired this segment, Olivia Cruz Maeda, arts reporting intern with KQED and a freelance journalist. Also joined by the author John Birdsall. Uh, has written a biography of James Beard and is working on another one called What Another Book uh, called What Is Queer Food. Um, we've got some great uh, comments and, and calls coming. I'm going to read some uh, to you in a sec, but we want to hear from you. I mean, what's your Friendsgiving tradition, or what's the thing that you bring to Friendsgiving? The phone number is eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. We'll get to a bunch of calls. If you can't get through there, try forum at kqed.org, or you can head over to the Discord as well, where we're KQED Forum. Um, uh, Mike writes, my favorite Friendsgiving tradition is going out to a karaoke bar the night before. We sing, we drink a little bit, and we go home with the pleasant realization that we get to hang out again the next day for the Friendsgiving Fest. Moo uh, on the Discord writes, I love a potluck Friendsgiving. Everyone gets to contribute a little something of themselves, and it takes some stress off the host. It's great to discover new foods or enjoy longstanding favorites. And last year, a friend hosted a Friendsgiving lunch where we all ate our fill. Then the entire group took a long walk in the surrounding hilly neighborhood to walk up the meal, enjoy the views, and extend the conversations. A lovely time. Uh, let's bring in um, Hannah in San Mateo. Welcome. Hi. Um, very interesting topic, and I love Friendsgiving. Mm-hmm. I'm from Iran and have a lot of Iranian friends in the area. And our families, a lot of our families don't live here, so we've been doing Friendsgiving for a while. And sometimes uh, we put a Persian or Iranian twist on the food. One of my favorites is a, a mixed rice dish. Uh, so it's Persian mm-hmm. rice with barberry, and it's sour, and you make it with saffron, and it goes really well with turkey or, or chicken, kind of like same in the same uh, category as cranberry sauce. Oh. So we make that. That's a typical that we make with uh, turkey or chicken. Yeah. Oh, Hannah, I love that. Thank you for uh, sharing with us. That was uh, rice with uh, Burberry, right, and, uh, and saffron. Um, John um, Birdsall, do you have like a, a go-to thing that you that you're like okay this is what i'm gonna bring forth for friendsgiving oh my god yes um so for many years i've really um uh sort of taken great great joy and great pride in making stuffing um and it's a whole you know it's like a lot of holiday stuff it's like this whole ritual where it's you know i i have to use acne acne levam bread so this kind of semi or sort of you know gently sour sourdough bread from acme baking in berkeley and it's this whole ritual of like you know showing up um you know five or six days before thanksgiving (laughs) to get my two loaves of bread so that they 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 can sort of not really get stale, but sort of lose some of their moisture. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I 
tear the bread into ragged pieces. It absorbs lots of butter. Um, so, you know, for me, it's very much about, you know, rooting Friendsgiving in a particular place. Um, and, you know, for me, that that place being the East Bay, where I lived for many years, and and just kind of celebrating going back to those sources and finding the the ingredients like the acne Levan bread um, that have just meant so much to me in my life. Yeah, I love that. Um, we have uh, a couple of other um, notes coming in. Octohog, again on the Discord writes, on the note of Chinese takeout roast, some Chinese barbecue places do whole turkeys in the same style as ducks. It stays moist and was a hit with my partner's family who had stopped serving uh, turkey years before. Also, you know, the Peralta Hacienda Historical Park uh, wanted folks to know that this year Peralta Hacienda is having its first LGBTQ-centered event around the Friendsgiving theme. However, they wanted to distance the colonial past of Thanksgiving, so we went for a mouthful of a title. They say, Trans Fam Autumn Potluck Party Celebrating Our Chosen Families. Um, so check that out, Peralta Hacienda Historical Park. Um, let's uh, talk a little bit, Olivia, uh, about your um, dish. Like, what's a thing that you love to uh, to bring to the party? Yeah, I come from a very ice cream obsessed family, and I would eat ice cream literally every day, and I do. And I think that a showstopper that I love to bring to parties, and that I did bring to my friendsgiving this year, was homemade Thai tea ice cream. It mm. was amazing. It was homemade, and it was a hit. Oh man, Thai tea ice cream is so good. Um, also, homemade ice cream is one of those things that isn't that hard, but it really feels special. Which I feel like is also an element of friendsgiving, right? Exactly. You kind of you want to flex a little bit, but you also don't want to have something that's too hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's bring in uh, Leslie in San Francisco. Welcome, Leslie. Hey there. Hi. Great show. Um, I have a Friendsgiving with a bit of a twist because it all started because of a sad divorce. You know, I had a, I call him my husband, um, no longer my husband, and we had three daughters, and we divided up the holidays. I happened to get Christmas. He happened to get Thanksgiving. But when Thanksgiving came, I was totally bummed oh, yeah. to be missing my three daughters. And I was like, oh, no. So we invented... I invented, and they all bought in something um, we called for a long time Second Thanksgiving, which was the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And what we did is I invited all the people, all the people we knew who had kind of miserable Thanksgivings with their annoying uncles and weird family. They all went to Thanksgiving, and then they came to my house, about 20 of them, and we had what we called Second Thanksgiving. And the tradition was we st started the meal with a shot of bourbon. It was adults only 18 years older, you know, or up pretty much, except for my kids. And now they're all in their thirties anyway. So we started with a shot of bourbon and the rule was you didn't tell anyone about it. It was 20 folks. And I we thought of it as best giving because mm -hmm. it was all the good people and none of the, the none bad, of the bad things. <laughs> hey, Leslie, thanks uh, so much for, for sharing that story. Um, you know, John, we, producer Caroline and I were out for a future show at Wild Side West last Friday. 
Um, and we were talking to folks, and I didn't realize this, but there is a tradition at Wild Side West, the the bar in Bernal Heights, of actually doing uh, like a like a friendsgiving thing, like a potluck at the bar. Um, have you yeah, have you ever yeah. done that? Have you ever brought, been to a place like that? I have never done it in a bar, but I know historically, like that was like a huge kind of cultural innovation in queer bars and queer spaces. Um, you know, pretty much right after Stonewall, the kind of Stonewall Rebellion of 1969 that that kind of defined the the start of the modern gay rights movement. But, you know, people, queer people were really cut off from their families. You know, they'd migrated to cities to be with other queer people. Um, and they, they, you know, in many cases just couldn't go back to their blood families. And so kind of creating these alternate traditions. So starting in the early 1970s in San Francisco, yeah, bars would have Thanksgiving either potlucks or you know, the bar itself would 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 sort of cook the meal. Um and you know, they were this kind of wonderful expression of the various uh you know, myriad queer communities in San Francisco. Like there would be you know, a leather bar that would do like a leather Thanksgiving, um, <laughs> other bars and clubs, you know, you'd have like Thanksgiving with like go-go boys, um, sort of dancing, but, you know, holidays were, were and are traditionally the place where queer people really, you know, I think in some way really need to be in, in, mm. in queer spaces with other queer people. Mm. Um, and Thanksgiving early on in San Francisco, um, was a place that really pioneered that kind of community building mm. around what we call now Friendsgiving, but in, in, in queer spaces. Yeah. This is our latest installment of All You Can Eat, our regular series on the Bay Area's food culture with Luke Sai, our food editor on the KQD Arts and Culture team. We're talking about Friendsgiving. We're joined by John Birdsall, author of uh, a, a book on James Beard and a future one uh, called What is Queer Food? Also, Olivia Cruz Maeda, our art reporting intern who inspired the show, who has a great guide to Friendsgiving up on kqed.org right now. Um, we're about to get to, uh, we cannot ignore the very important topic of Turkey in this discussion. Um, Luke, I wanted to ask you a little bit about like what your Turkey plan is. Of course, Turkey remains, I feel like Turkey has gotten more controversial over time as people have sort of been like, wait, why do we do this again? Um, so what are you going to do and what have you done in the past? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, uh, I, I love having turkey for Thanksgiving, um, but I will also admit that the turkey itself is quite often the most boring <laughs> part of the Thanksgiving spread. Um, and it's more like a vehicle for eating other things. Like if you want to have stuffing, you've got to have turkey. If you want to have cranberry sauce, you know, every year um, I make this uh, persimmon cranberry sauce from a recipe that I found online. Um, that everyone loves. And it's like, well, we want to eat a lot of cranberry sauce, so we have to have um, turkey. <laughs> um, so for many years, like, I would just roast the turkey um, and do it kind of just like the simplest way possible, like no bells and whistles, just mm -hmm. like a hot, high heat, hot oven, um, pretty fast um, with not too big a turkey. And it's like, fine. Like, no one has ever 
complain too much about it, but also no one has ever come to my Friendsgiving and said, wow, like that turkey was the best thing ever. <laughs> um, and so um, this year, and I, I believe um, we we have, we um, do. A, we a, have a caller who can speak to this, but for this year, for the very first time, um, I, I'll sort of back up and say the origin of this is like I had seen someone tweet online, like there someone whose food opinion I trust. They said, like, my number one tip for Thanksgiving is don't make the turkey. Just order a fried turkey from Popeye's. It'll be better than anything that you ever made yourself. And I just thought, like, what? Like, I've never <laughs> even thought of doing that. And so I started poking around because I'd always heard people who swear by fried turkey, but it just seemed very intimidating very intimidating um, yeah. <laughs> to, to do um and so i started poking around and i found this place um in richmond uh, where i live called kim's uh louisiana fried turkey and so this year for the first time i'm going to be getting my turkey from <laughs> them um and i'm excited yeah. uh, to, that that maybe this will be the start of a of a new tradition for me let's bring on the co-owner with philip mitchell of kim's louisiana fried turkey kim knox welcome hey kim can hey thank welcome you. hey thank you i actually have my co-owner here my husband philip is here as well oh hey great philip and kim thanks for thanks for joining us um Tell us about what makes fried turkey better than a roast turkey we might just throw in the oven. Well, my husband could probably speak more to it, but for me as a consumer of fried turkey, um, it's the brining. So he brines for 48 hours, and so the flavor gets throughout the bird. It's just not on top of, of, with the skin. Or when you inject, sometimes the flavor is just in that area. But with fried turkeys, brining and then frying sort of seals in the flavor and keeps the turkey juicy. Mm. So that's, that's my take on it. I mean, Philip uh, Mitchell, I, from what I hear, frying a turkey at home is like a little bit dangerous. May, maybe it's overblown, but maybe it's not. It seems it seems scary. What do you think? So, yeah, so it it's 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 definitely dangerous for the novice uh, mm -hmm. to go out there and try to fry a, 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 a 13 to 20 pound turkey uh, in your backyard during the holidays without having a few basic uh skills that you need to you know be able to understand about frying that turkey and mm. making sure it's good and, and not ruining your holiday yeah um how many turkeys do you think you'll end up frying this uh season both for yourself and for for the business well we <laughs> so we've had to at, at one point we we did 110 for the season <laughs> oh my god which 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 that was <laughs> That was a test of everything. Um, but now we've decided to, to keep that number at about 50, 55, 60. So this year we're actually at, because of KQED, thank you so much, we're at about 48 already. Oh and God. we've got a few yeah. weeks left. And and I will say that the majority of those uh, orders are from those who saw the article um, in KQED. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So thank you. Um, Philip, um, does this just mean that basically starting in like a week, you're just going to be up like day and night tending like six fryers? Is that what that means? Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> and and well, so actually, my process started uh, yesterday, uh, obviously getting the turkeys and then making sure that I have the right size turkeys and then we'll go into the brining stage. 
from the brining stage, we'll go into the seasoning stage, and then from the seasoning stage, we'll go into the final cooking stage of it. And so what's unique about our turkeys is, and I'm not going to disparage any other company, uh, Popeyes, um, or any <laughs> other company, <laughs> and say what they do wrong, but our turkeys, um, I, I'm, I'm proud to say that are fried to order. So um, yeah. if a guest wants their turkey at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, that turkey will have been fried probably an hour before they come get it mm. and they can they can take it home and take the foil off of it cut it and it's ready to eat and so um with that right there i do take a lot of pride in the fact that i'm going to be up all night making sure <laughs> that um because we take this very seriously uh about providing food for guests on these very important holidays and so i'm going to give them my best and so yes i'm going to mm. be up all night and it's something that i love doing i'm a restaurant manager so i'm kind of wired crazy i love it i love it um i'm gonna let you go but just uh just checking there are sides too if people just want to come to you for the whole thing they can do that too right not just the turkey Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we're seeing a lot more of that now. Our sides are that comfort food that we're all used to on Thanksgiving, mac and cheese, cornbread dressing, seasoned green beans, candied yams, Mm. um, citrus carrots. We've got everything that you need. I love it. Um, Hey, thank you so much, Kim Knox and Philip Mitchell, who are the co-owners of uh, Kim's Louisiana Fried Turkey. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And it's actually Kim Knox Mitchell. I'm hyphenated. Oh, there we go. All right, Kim Knox Mitchell and Philip Mitchell. Thank you. Thank you (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Kim and Philip. Appreciate you. Um, We want to hear from you. um, What's your signature Friendsgiving or even regular old Thanksgiving dish? Like, what's a thing that you bring to try and, you know, wow your your friends? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can email forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Discord. We're going to get more tips from Olivia when we come back. We're going to take some more calls. We're going to get some more of... Uh, your your comments. Um, Liz writes, in 1987, my friends and I celebrated an outlaw Thanksgiving for 10 people who were feuding with family. None of us cook, so we had Swanson's frozen turkey dinners, pie from Kentucky Fried Chicken, and a handle of vodka for drinks. The night ended with a pie fight, and people passed out on the floor. Best Thanksgiving ever. All right, Liz, 1987. Um, Mohan writes, I want to comment that you absolutely do not need to celebrate Friendsgiving around the body of a dead turkey or any other animal. If we want to truly celebrate life and honor the beautiful world we share with other creatures, consider a wonderful vegetarian Thanksgiving. Let the turkeys, ducks, and other animals enjoy their lives in peace as we do. Uh, Mohan wants to encourage you to try a new tradition called Friends Living. Um... Sue wants to write, as our families grew and grew away, there was always tension concerning whose house would host and how everyone might be able to come together on that big designated Thanksgiving day. So many years ago, our family decided to have a whole weekend devoted to thanks. A potluck the day of, thankful leftovers the next day, thankful soup on the weekends, and many days of joy. Enjoy this Natalie Merchant. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. This is All You Can Eat with Luke Sai, our regular series on the Bay Area's food cultures every other Wednesday, pretty much. Also joined by Olivia Cruz Mayeda, arts reporting intern at KQED and a freelance journalist. She's got a great guide to hosting your own uh, Friendsgiving up on KQED.org. And we also have John Birdsall, an author and a food writer, uh, lived in the Bay Area for a long time, kind of a, a, a stalwart of our food writing scene. Earlier, we were joined by Kim Knox Mitchell and Philip Mitchell, who are co-owners of Kim's Louisiana uh, Fried Turkey. We're going to get to a bunch more of your calls uh, in this portion of the show. But first, Olivia, I found out that we actually share um, a love for setting the table with a bunch of weird botanical things. (laughs) (laughs) One of your pieces of advice in the guide, right, is to just stick a tree branch on it, yeah? Yes, that's correct. Last weekend, I did snip some olive branches from a neighbor's tree. (laughs) I will not say which neighbor, obviously. (laughs) But yeah, I think that setting the table, tablescaping, as some might say, can be super straightforward. You can just like grab some stems from a walk and lay them on the table. And it adds just like this extra gorgeous dimension that takes so little effort. You know, the other thing that I absolutely love is I'll take um, nasturtiums, you know, which grow mm-hmm. everywhere here. And they grow in these long, long, you know, um, uh, vines almost. Um, yes. And I'll just lay one of those down through the whole center of the table. Um, it takes like two seconds and it just adds so much green. It adds flowers. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's still uh, working. Even like right now in my yard, I still have so many um, healthy nasturtium plants going. So... Um, another another tip. Um, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, another one of our KQED colleagues, wrote in to say, was just going to note that maybe Friendsgiving is also a big city person thing. I have a group of best friends I grew up with since we were toddlers, and we're all still friends well into our 30s. We sometimes have a Friendsgiving get-together, especially because our parents don't necessarily have a lot of extended family here in California. And one thing that really makes it work well is when we have not only food that we all brought, but maybe food from like a touchstone a touchstone that we all love, like Tommy's Joint, which serves great Thanksgiving food, but also is a place where we have all celebrated major milestones like uh, like graduations. I love that one, too. Um, let's go to Michael in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi, Alexis. Um, this is a fascinating show. I think you should uh, run this topic at least one more time um, <laughs> before the holiday, uh, because people are obviously uh, really excited about it. So uh, my Friendsgiving, uh, we used to call it the, uh, the, the Orphan's Thanksgiving. We used to work in the hotel industry, and Thanksgiving would come around. It was either 
impractical uh, to travel or uh, or people just couldn't. And then we had foreign friends who um, didn't really have any emotional mm-hmm. connection to Thanksgiving. So we started a tradition of going to a particular restaurant, which I'm hesitant to name because I don't want to give away your secret, but um, the short story starts with a fabulous martini and ends up with like a, an amazing plate of prime rib. Mm. And uh, that is an amazing tradition for us. And one, I tell my friends and coworkers what I'm doing for Thanksgiving. They're like, oh, wow, you're so lucky. And they're like, yes. And, and uh, uh, all of which to say, it's like, you know, the, the holiday is all about gratitude. Mm. And it's a great, uh, great holiday for us to create our own traditions. Yeah. I, uh, Michael, thanks so much uh, for that. Maybe we can get where that prime rib comes from um, off the air. <laughs> um, I've also I've been um, intrigued through the show, uh, John Birdsall, of the different names that people have given to this. Right. I mean, we, we sort of landed for this show and I think in a slightly more general cultural sense on Friendsgiving. But some of these ones, Orphan Thanksgiving, Outlaw Thanksgiving yeah. or Eli writes in, I've been trying to get momentum for a California specific donors tag, <laughs> a lighthearted commemoration of the Donner Party and the hubris of colonialism <laughs> on the Thursday of American Thanksgiving oh, wow. with a late Halloween edge. Um, what, what do you what do you make of kind of like the the branding of this thing that clearly we all many many people share a desire to do this thing but what do you make of like how it how we ended up with this particular tag for it yeah well you know to be honest friendsgiving the term friendsgiving feels a little um uh diluted or watered down or something like that i mean i think the original impulse of a holiday um you know, kind of redefining the holiday around um, chosen family um, has a lot of power. I think, you know, in those pieces that we were both finding in newspapers from the mid-aughts, you know, the term Friendsgiving was sort of a a sort of safe mainstream Mm -hmm. um, term to give this when in fact, I mean, really, for a lot of us, um, you know, it has to do with, um, you know, building lives around chosen family. Um, and that was definitely the kind of major impetus in the queer community to create these alternate Thanksgiving traditions around, um, you know, this kind of new kind of domestic life that, um, people in queer communities, especially were kind of forming in cities. So I think, um, I think we haven't maybe found the perfect term for it yet. Um, Friendsgiving is great as it goes, but I think, um, you know, there's something that could have a bit more emotional resonance, um, than, than, than that. Um, you know, Donner's tag is, 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 is pretty good. (laughs) Though I have to admit. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, let's bring in um, Dr. Maria. Welcome. Hi, Washte. I am an indigenous spiritual leader, Lakota and Dene, and I'd like to remind everyone, as wonderful as this Friendsgiving and Thanksgiving talk is happening, 
It's actually a celebration of a massacre that happened in Massachusetts when the governor of Massachusetts declared it a day of Thanksgiving for stamping out the heathens. And so we just ask that everyone who is celebrating with whomever they love, that maybe a prayer could be said for all those forgotten people, all those ancestors, all those people who gave up their lives so that the settlers would have food, because they actually got together on Nunua, which is in October, which was actually the real harvest time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's sad because we celebrate this holiday by fasting and going to Alcatraz and doing sunrise ceremony. And we want to bring in that spiritual peace that no one's talking about and feeling that it's an important piece of history that needs to be talked about so that when everyone is sitting together and feeling loved by each other and sharing their love, maybe they could say some prayers for the forgotten people and the ancestors who've been murdered. Absolutely. And I I think, you know, one thing, and and John, I'm going to come back to you on this. Thank you so much for that call and for for a really significant and important reminder. I mean, I think the the kind of tradition that you're describing, I mean, I think one reason why people were trying to rename it was a recognition that people loved the part about gratitude and thanks and chosen family, but actually wanted to disassociate from the exact kind of components of colonial exploitation that Dr. Maria was uh, reminding us of. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, one, one way that, 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 that queer families were doing that was, was sort of exploding all of the kind of gender strictures, Mm -hmm. um, that a lot of us had grown up with, um, you know, the, 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 sort of patriarchal kind of family structure um, and really redefining this kind of great project uh, in the late 20th century, really redefining family and kind of creating these moments, these holidays to really celebrate that, to, you know, acknowledge um, that we could um, have a different relationship with family, that we could, you know, invite different people around the table um, who traditionally wouldn't be invited around the table. Um, you know, that is the essential component of, 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 you know, I think of these Friendsgiving celebrations. It's really kind of taking control, mm-hmm. um, of this cultural myth and refashioning it. And I think, um, yeah, there's, there's tremendous, um, you know, th- there's tremendous power in, reconnecting in the queer community to our two-spirit, um, you know, siblings in the indigenous community who have so much to teach not only queer communities, but the general community um, about, you know, different understandings of family and gender and cultural preservation. Yeah. Thanks for that, John. Let's um, let's go back to the phone here. Let's go to uh, Don in Menlo Park. Welcome, Don. Hi. Hi, thanks. This is a great show. I love your food-oriented shows. Um, I used to live in Singapore, and uh, Thanksgiving is actually my favorite holiday um, for all the good reasons. Um, and speaking to the person, the my, the previous caller, you know, there's a lot. Yeah, I'm sorry that that happened to her people. Yeah. Anyway, when I was in Singapore, I I brought I, you know I hosted Thanksgiving for 30 people, and turkeys aren't a thing there nor are ovens. And so I ended up uh, spatchcocking thir- three turkeys, 10-pound turkeys, and grilling them. Um, and that was a challenge in and of itself. So, you know, and 
it was a really international scene of people because it wasn't just Americans. It was myself plus some other Americans. So there was definitely the traditional foods, but there was Indonesian food and French mm-hmm. food and Chinese food. It was just a, um, a multicultural day of thanks, and it was yeah. really great. And I had to go to work the next day because they don't <laughs> celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, uh, but did you bring any of those things I, back with you, Don? Like when you when you came back to the states, did you bring any of those to Friendsgiving to the, you know, one of the foods that somebody else had had served there? Um. Well, I spatchcock and grill my turkeys now, ah. so it's the best way. It's the fastest way to make a turkey, other than frying, which I will not try. Um, and the. Yeah, I wish I could have brought some of the the dishes. I'm not I'm not skilled like that, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was really impressed with myself for grilling the turkeys. Um, but one dish that I do make regularly is um, uh, a dish I had at the Museum of the American Indian, a wild rice kind of uh, pilaf salad stuffing that um, that's really really great and I highly recommend because it's wild rice which is indigenous yeah. to northern Minnesota and cranberries which are indigenous to North America um, so all of these really great flavors and pine nuts and all sorts it's really fantastic I think you can find the recipe online um, and I you know I, 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 I bring that to many many parties but also yeah. Thanksgiving yeah. so thank you so great much show. thanks for having hey, us yeah thank you thank you um, looks like we have not talked about your signature dish, which is this extremely, you know, uh, Bay Area spin on an old favorite. Which one are you talking about? Oh, your persimmon, <laughs> I, your persimmon, oh, yeah. you know, jelly, the replacement of the cranberries of the persimmon is genius as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, and it has cranberries, um, and you just add, you chop up, uh, fresh, uh, Fuyu persimmons, um on the at the last minute um and toss it in so it's about you know two-thirds cranberry and one-third persimmon um and it just adds this great uh, it's not so sweet um and it adds this sort of fragrant um element to it um and i just also wanted to respond to you know several of the the past callers you know i think offer such important reminders and i think one thing i wanted to say too is that you know, and Olivia's um, great guy touches on this as well, is that one of the ways that people can break out of sort of this feeling that you're sort of just cosplaying this, um, you know, mythical meal (laughs) from Mm -hmm. colonial times um, is sort of feeling free to break out of that kind of Western canon um, with the actual food that you're preparing, whether it be the dishes that you're preparing yourself or sometimes um, supplementing it uh, with uh, takeout items um, from restaurants. Like I love Olivia's idea of doing um, a roast duck from Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, there's a lot that you can do with condiments, you know, like like I, I um, am on the record of my great love for the tomb, which is the garlic mm-hmm. sauce um, from shawarma G, which is this great Jordanian shawarma spot in Oakland um, that, famously goes great with any kind of um chicken um and i think it goes equally great um with turkey you know same thing with like the aji amarillo sauce that you get a lot of at a lot of um peruvian rotisserie Mm, chicken restaurants Uh um and then also you know like in the bay area we have such a great tradition of having dungeness crab 
um, for Thanksgiving that has been foiled for the past several years because of the crab season getting delayed. Um, And so I just want to point out, like, a lot of those great Vietnamese roast crab places, um, like my favorite is um, PPQ Dungeness Island in the Richmond in San Francisco. Like, they're all open on Thanksgiving, you know, so, you know, I think that's another great idea. Like, who would be mad if you brought... Uh, a big platter of Vietnamese roast crab and garlic noodles um, to your uh, nobody. Friendsgiving the answer is nobody would be mad. Um, uh, we have uh, a ton of comments too um, that I wanted to to run through here. I mean, Cheryl writes, you know, my teenage twins used Friendsgiving as a way to declare their independence from adults. Starting in tenth grade, they had friends for potluck on Wednesday lunch. Parents specifically not invited. Uh, I look forward to my kids taking up that tradition. Another listener writes, my showstopper dish, bourbon caramel pumpkin tart. Another listener writes, my dad and now we uh, uh, marinate the turkey at least overnight in a Puerto Rican adobo, and it turns out delicious. Another uh, listener with a with a with a showstopper dish. I always make balsamic glazed pearl onions. I found the recipe years ago in a Sunset magazine. I'm a vegetarian, but carnivorous friends love smearing them all over their turkey. Uh, and we also have uh, one other big tip. Elliot over on the Discord writes, "Hear me out." Everything bagel seasoning from Trader Joe's on roast chicken. Also, me and my partner started getting a small Cornish hen instead of roasting too much chicken um, or turkey. Um, Olivia, as you've been listening, have you come up with any final um, tips you feel like we haven't covered that we that we should get to from the guide? Yeah, I think we've heard a lot of really great input and important reminders. I think a through line in the guide that I wrote is just to encourage people to go for it. I think especially like if you're throwing a Friendsgiving in an unfamiliar social scene, that's like the equivalent of bringing in a tray of homemade cupcakes to your third grade class that you're joining (laughs) in the middle of the year. It endears people to you and you will be known as that kid. But what's more wonderful than that? So I would just encourage people to try it out and know that it's like an iterative process and you can do it again a couple months from now or next year. I loved your your tip. This is a beautifully written um, guide, and I loved your tip about giving someone control of the music at the party as a yes. nice way of saying, I trust you with my life and the life of this party. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, thank you um, so much for inspiring this show. Olivia Cruz made arts reporting intern at KQED. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, John Birdsall, author, um, look out for this book. I think we're so excited about it. What is queer food? And thanks so much for uh, joining us to share kind of the roots of, of Friendsgiving, John Birdsall. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having for having me. And happy Friendsgiving, everyone. Uh, Luke Sai, as always, you're the best food editor at KQED. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. This has been really fun. Yeah. Earlier, we were joined by Kim Knox Mitchell and her husband and co-owner of Kim's Louisiana Fried Turkey. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for the next hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.